It's Friday's News and Notes edition next on Baseball HQ Radio. He levels the bat a couple of times. Shaw kicks and he fires. Rose Wayne. There it is. There it is. Get out. Get out. All right. It's number 4192. A line drive single into left center field. Learn to play the winner's way. Because Baseball HQ Radio starts right now. And here's your host from BaseballHQ.com, columnist Patrick Davitt. And welcome to Baseball HQ Radio for July the 26th and show number 30 of the 2013 Fantasy Baseball season. I am Patrick Davitt, your host, and we do have another great show for you with our regular contributors from BaseballHQ.com, the best fantasy baseball website in the business. We'll have player news from the National League with Harold Nichols, and from the American League with pinch hitter Ray Murphy. We'll have our regular weekly talk with Todd Zola about A-Rod and Braun and actually some stuff we'd like to talk about. And in our regular Friday matchups analysis, BaseballHQ.com analyst Ryan Bloomfield looks at the Rangers' Derek Holland against the Angels and the Brewers' Donovan Hand facing the Rockies at Coors Field. It's another big Friday show. Thanks for joining us at Baseball HQ Radio. Hey, Alfonso Soriano is a Yankee again. We gotta talk some baseball. Yes, media reports late on Friday said the Cubs have indeed traded Alfonso Soriano to the Yankees for a Class A pitcher named Corey Black. But what the Cubs were really trading was money. They owe Soriano about 25 million bucks through the end of next season, and they've got the Yankees to pay a little less than 7 million of it. Major League Baseball has to approve the dollar exchange for the trade to go through, but that'll happen. For Soriano, it's a bit of a homecoming as well. He played for the Bombers from 1999 through 2003 and got a couple of World Series rings for his efforts. The Yanks will be looking for some offense from Soriano, who has been hot lately and has 17 homers and 51 RBIs so far this year. The deal isn't official, so we're not going to talk about it much in this edition of Baseball HQ Radio. But assuming everything goes through, we'll talk about it lots on Tuesday. In the meantime, we have plenty on our agenda. The first inning of our show, our League Watch News reports. Ray Murphy is on deck with players from the American League. And leading off, it's the National League report and our old friend Harold Nichols. Nick, welcome back to Baseball HQ Radio. Thanks a lot, Patrick. Good to be here. You know, we've been talking an awful lot at Baseball HQ Radio and on the site about the Matt Garza trade to the Rangers, Nick. But... Most of our attention has been focused on the benefit to Texas and the changes that will take place for the Rangers. And after all, they are a playoff caliber team and possibly a World Series contender. Chicago Cubs, not so much, but they are going to have some changes because they lose Matt Garza. What are the repercussions for the Cubs? Well, Chris Rusin has entered the rotation and, and uh, will maybe get a, a chance to actually uh, make a few starts and see what's going to happen. Chris Rusin's a 26-year-old a lefty who's been been around a while doesn't have a lot of really good stuff a uh, fastball in the upper 80s an average curveball a below average changeup uh pitched a, a PQS4 in his second start out but that doesn't look like the kind of thing that's likely to continue uh Chris Rusin is kind of a a, a low dom uh guy we we've got a uh, XERA right now says 4.13 projected uh, XERA of 5.22 so uh not a guy who's uh, likely to to, to uh, be a lot of fantasy help I think yeah, it doesn't sound like it. They have some other options. Justin Grimm, for instance, was traded from Texas 
to Chicago, and uh, apparently they have high hopes for him. Yeah, I think there's. I think there are high hopes for Justin Graham, and uh, Justin Graham certainly. The Rangers tried him out, and he, Justin Graham may not just be ready quite yet. But uh, they've assigned him to AAA Iowa, and uh, they'll see what he can do. And he'll probably get a shot before the end of the year. Before we leave uh, the Chicago Cubs, they called up an outfielder, Junior Lake. It probably didn't attract much attention, but boy, he got off to a heck of a start. He stole a bag. He's got a couple of home runs. I think he had hits in his first five or six games and batted 500 through his through his first uh, run through the league. And uh, geez, all of a sudden, Junior Lake looks like he might be a guy worth looking at. But is he? You know, Junior Lake is off to a blazing start, and uh, so Junior Lake certainly has some athletic ability. I mean, a, uh, I think he's 23 years old, has some uh, potential, but the problem with Junior Lake is Junior Lake is not a very selective hitter. Uh, this guy walks only about 6% of the time, uh, batting eye of 0.25, so his, his batting average is likely to come down. Right now he's got about a 54% hit rate, uh, and that's what's keeping everything propped up. But he does have some speed, and that'll allow him perhaps to beat out some hits that would uh, otherwise not become base hits. But uh, Junior Lake's got a, prop, a potential, I think, batting average problem as he progresses. There's also a playing time issue, Nick, in that David DeJesus is finally back from the DL. He'll go back into center field, and that kind of crowds that whole Cub outfield situation. Uh, what does that mean for Junior Lake? Well, you know, Junior Lake, first of all, they're going to keep him in the lineup now because he's hot. But the second thing is, if, if Alfonso Soriano gets traded, and it looks as though that's very close, that would open up playing time for Junior Lake. Uh, and the other thing is DeJesus himself is a trade candidate. So uh, there probably will be some playing time available in the Chicago outfield, which means that Junior Lake could get playing time as long as he's hot. The other big story of the week, of course, Ryan Braun suspended for the balance of the season because of the PED uh, issue and the biogenesis scandal. And uh, Logan Schaefer, the outfielder, seems to be the beneficiary. Logan Schaefer is not setting the world on fire. Uh, right now, Logan Schaefer is batting uh, 230 over his first 200 at-bats for the season. Two home runs, four stolen bases, so uh, not a lot to write home about. Uh, our expected batting average is 265, so we might see the B.A. go up a little bit. Logan Schaefer makes good contact, but that's about it. Uh, power below average, uh, speed just about average, so... Uh, not, I think, a lot of fantasy appeal in Logan Schaefer. The other possibility, recent call-up, Caleb Gindel. Um, he's off to a bit of a start, 7 for 27 so far. Any Anything we like about Caleb Gindel? You know, Caleb Gindel's a possibility to look at as well. I mean, it's, they just have to try to play things around in, in Milwaukee and see what they can do. And certainly Milwaukee is out of it at this point, so uh, no reason not to experiment with things and see what they can get. And they're looking ahead to next year when they have, have Braun back and Corey Hart back. Stephen Nickrand, our fine starting pitching buyer's guide columnist at BaseballHQ.com, wrote a column recently looking at pitchers whose skills had improved or changed, I guess I should say, from 2012 to 2013. And one of the names that really caught my eye on his list was Jacob Turner, the starter in Miami. I like Jacob Turner a lot. Jacob Turner was, of course, a a top prospect in Detroit and uh, came up and struggled and uh, got traded in Miami and uh, came up last year and struggled and has not quite panned out, but this last call-up, he's done very, very well. So far this season, 10 starts, 2.49 ERA, uh, just seems to be rolling right along. The the good things about Jacob Turner, his his dom is up from last year from 5.9 to 6.3, uh, a very high swinging strike rate, a 9.4 string, swinging strike rate. His fastball has increased uh, more than anyone else in the league except for Patrick Corbin's over the past year. So a lot of skills growth for Jacob Turner. Uh, and Right now, we're looking at a 4.06 XDRA, so uh, looks like he's overperforming his uh, his skills at the moment, but uh, certainly a guy to look at, especially in keeper leagues, I think. 
you almost always have to like these guys who were very high draft picks and very highly regarded prospects. Then they struggle their first time through, and everybody starts to dislike them and to, to dismiss them off to the side and say, nope, he's another guy who didn't pan out. But Jacob Turner's a young pitcher, and sometimes it takes a little while, and maybe down in Miami they're not going to put a lot of pressure on him to win a lot of games. Obviously, they're a very poor team. Jacob Turner could be one of those guys who is an opportunity to basically draft a guy on a second chance. Yeah, definitely. You know, you got to remember, Jacob Turner is 22 years old. I mean, you know, most guys don't even have their first chance by the time they're 22 years old. Also on uh, Stephen's list, another skills change not for the better, Chris Medlin, the starting pitcher in Atlanta, who has been rumored to be headed to the bullpen anyway, but with Tim Hudson's uh, recent uh, injury, that may change. But Chris Medlin, he was... uh, Talk of the town last year about this time, but not so much this year. You know, Chris Medlin's had this year getting consistent. I mean, his skills have been up and down. If you look at his, his BPV by month, uh, April 45, May 55, then suddenly a 145 BPV in June. That looked about like he did a year ago, and then back down to 52 BPV in uh, in, August, in in July. So Chris Medlin has certainly been uh, all over the place with his skills. Uh Problem has been, I, I think, his command has been hovered right around 2.0. Control has been a little bit shaky compared to where it was a year ago. Uh, was exceptional in June, uh, and that's, I think, what made the difference. So what, what you've got to, to think about with Chris Medlin is he's shown those skills last year. He's shown them for a short spurt this year. He certainly could show those skills again. Uh, so Chris Medlin is not a guy, I think, to dismiss, although overall he certainly had a skill drop from a year ago. And one of the skills drops, in fact, that Stephen pointed out, a 12-point reduction in ground ball percentage, that's huge, and it has a very significant impact on your expectations as far as home runs and strand rate and so forth. And I, I noticed that Stephen says there's a chance he will put it together, as you said, over the final two months, but Stephen says don't bet on it. And I wonder if maybe if you're in fifth or sixth spot and looking to catch lightning in a bottle, maybe you should bet on it. It, it might be a better bet than a lot of other alternatives. You know, certainly might be. I mean, here's a guy that is that has proven last year that he had the goods, and and for one month this year, uh, and and so might be worth it a risk uh, if you are struggling and, and need to try to catch up. And finally, Doug Dennis had a bullpen column recently saying that there were a number of bullpens that were somewhat in disarray or where there might be role changes. And sure enough, almost on the heels of that, down in Arizona, Brad Ziegler has been named the new closer. Kind of a surprise Brad Ziegler named as a closer, and he's been successful, gotten a couple of saves, but Brad Ziegler is certainly not your prototypical closer. Here's a guy with a low dom rate, 4.8 dom rate for the year, but what, what Brad Ziegler gets by on is a very high ground ball rate. We're talking a ground ball rate in the native in the in the range of 75 percent, uh, and that'll lead to a lot of outs if you can if you can get the ball on the ground that consistently. Um, the problem with with Brad Ziegler is here's a guy who pitches very very well against against right-handed hitters, .531 OPS against him uh, in his career, but left-handed hitters .872 OPS. So uh, the kind of guy that uh, opposing managers could certainly exploit in terms of matchups in the ninth inning. Yeah, they could. That's what I was thinking because the, that left-handed um, tilt in favor of the opponents means the opposing manager can just throw one left-hander uh, after another at Ziegler in the ninth inning in a close game, and that really puts uh, Kirk Gibson in a difficult spot. Yeah, it does, and I, you know, I, I imagine that's going to start happening as soon as uh, as soon as other managers catch on to the kind of split that Brad Ziegler has. Uh, my guess is that uh, Brad Ziegler is not going to be closing out all the games because they're going to be lefties coming up and have to get someone else out of the bullpen to, to have the correct matchup. 
Yeah, and they have other alternatives as well. Okay, Nick, thanks very much for talking with us again. We'll catch up with you again in a week's time. Thanks a lot, Patrick. Harold Nichols writes regularly for BaseballHQ.com and is our man on the National League beat here at Baseball HQ Radio. Now let's turn to the American League. And with our regular reporter Jock Thompson sunning himself in beautiful Rome, we'll bring in a pinch hitter, BaseballHQ.com speculator columnist Ray Murphy. Ray, welcome back to the show. Hey, thanks for having me to uh, fill in for Jock. I noticed you and I are not on a European vacation this week. That, yeah, that's right. I think my vacation uh, this year might be Lake Erie. Lovely this time of year. Yeah, and not on fire anymore, which is always a plus. Uh, the fir- the big news, I guess, in the American Leagues this week was uh, Matt Garza getting traded from the Cubs to the Rangers. First game out, he twirled a dandy. Uh, how do you like Matt Garza as a fit for the Rangers? And more importantly, how does he fit uh, as a fantasy player? You know, there's a lot to like about Garza's skill set. There's some reason to be concerned about his environment. You know, I think we're all conditioned now that any time a pitcher goes to Texas, you get a little leery, and that's certainly true of Garza. He's not a particularly big ground ball pitcher. So, you know, Texas gets to be a launching pad in the late summer as the temperatures go up and Garza's going to be a little bit prone to that. But beyond that, there's, you know, Garza's skills have been quite solid since he came off the DL. There's plenty of reason to think he's going to continue to be effective. As you say, he wasn't his first start. Uh, Certainly the opportunity for wins is a lot better in Texas than it was with the Cubs. But, you know, his owners should, you know, generally be optimistic, but just know that there's probably going to be a couple of, uh, you know, three home runs, seven earned run games mixed in there somewhere just because of where he's pitching. On the other hand, he's managed to keep the home runs in check, even in Chicago, which is not exactly a, a pitcher's park either. This is true. You know, he's got, he's had, had a minor ground ball tilt at times throughout his career. You know, it's not a specialty of his, but he has not been particularly, you know, victimized by the home run ball in the past but you know a large part of his career was in Tampa and you know at certain times of year Chicago plays differently than others going into Texas you know one of the premier home parks in the majors for home runs is going to be you know a bit of a different environment for him but we certainly don't think he's going to collapse completely and we should expect that he's going to benefit as you said the the offense is going to be better at scoring runs and certainly uh, the Texas bullpen at the back of it uh, with Joe Nathan in particular looks like it's going to keep Garza from losing games that he should have won. Absolutely. If, you know, I'm sure from the Texas point of view, if he can give them six innings, you know, just give them the six inning, two or three run quality starts, they like their chances in most of those games when they hand that game off to the bullpen. And in his first outing, Garza, I think, pitched into the eighth. So he did even more than that. Another trade, uh, this one not quite as uh, important probably in the scheme of things. Francisco Rodriguez moves from the Milwaukee bullpen to the Baltimore Orioles bullpen, which was pretty strong anyway. And oddly enough, though, Rodriguez is a right-handed pitcher. He could be that left-handed one-out loogie. Yeah, that's the key point made by Matt Dodge in analyzing this trade here, and I think it's a very important one. You know, The Orioles back into the bullpen is pretty stout with Jim Johnson closing in front of Darren O'Day and Tommy Hunter and Brian Mattis from the left side, but uh, those three righties all have you know some degree of platoon split problems. And Rodriguez is a righty who is actually better against lefties these days. So, you know, knowing you know you can be pretty sure that Buck Showalter has that information and may use him uh, aggressively in that. Loogie for a right-hander might be a little bit extreme, but you certainly wouldn't be surprised to see him get the call in an inning where two righties and two lefties are due up in the eighth inning or something like that, whereas he had the choice earlier to mix and match with, you know, Madison O'Day for two-thirds and a third in an inning, something like that. Now he can do that 
maybe an inning earlier or an inning later and use K-Rod for a full inning, not being afraid of a dangerous lefty or two who are mixed into the lineup or can come off the bench against them. So the bottom line here is if you're an American League-only player who lost track of Francisco Rodriguez when he left the Angels four or five years ago, this is no longer the same guy. Don't expect him to pick up a bunch of saves in Baltimore. He'll be in the late inning mix, but Jim Johnson's still pretty entrenched as a closer. On the other hand, being a, a decent reliever on a good team like Baltimore is, maybe Francisco Rodriguez could snag you a few vulture wins. Sure, a couple of vulture wins, and you know he may get the uh, you know the save call if Jim Johnson's unavailable, or you know a game goes extra innings and Johnson gets used early or something like that. You know that's not to say there's no value here. There is, you know, as you say, there are other ways for a non-closer reliever to get value. Just uh, don't expect to see him regularly in the ninth inning. So more of a value in a deep league than a shallow league, I'm going to guess. Uh, over in Houston, this was an important uh, development, I think. Jonathan VR, one of their prospects, has taken over full-time as the shortstop there. Did this surprise you as much as, much as it did me? On the one hand, yes, I was surprised. But on the other hand, if you take a longer-term look at what they've been running out at shortstop this year in Houston between Marlon Gonzalez and Ronnie Cedeno and Jake Elmore and uh, you know a few other dregs of society, you know you can imagine why it, once they decided VR was their future, they might as well say the future is now because you know they were getting no offensive production and some shoddy defense there, and that has a trickle-down effect on a young pitching staff that's already at a, a, under a decent amount of strain. So you can understand why, you know, like, like they say about relationships, sometimes you know once you decide that you want to be with someone, you want the, in the future you want the future to start right now and I think that's kind of where Houston got with VR they said well we know this is the guy why don't we make him the guy today yeah like you said they're not going anywhere what what's he going to deliver for fantasy players well you know anytime you see a middle infielder who's got a skill in this case VR has legitimate speed you know there's a tendency to get excited and you know you can be pretty sure that he's going to play a lot and he's going to run, but there are some warning signs in his skill set too. He struck, he was striking out an awful lot in AAA, you know, and even though he was in, uh, you know, Oklahoma City of the Pacific Coast League, which is, uh, as we all know, a very hitter-friendly environment. He was only hitting around 270 down there. So, you know, there's some batting average risk here. We're projecting him for a batting average in the 230s over the balance of the season, but with, you know, stolen bases in the mid-teens in 175, 200 at-bats. So, you know, you can, if, if you need a speed boost, he's the guy, he's a guy to consider, but, you know, be aware of the batting average downside that's going to come along with that. Speaking of batting average downside, Dan Becker wrote a batter's buying guide column on isolated power, which is an interesting stat. It's basically slugging percentage minus batting average, and it isolates the power component. And one of the names that popped up from Dan's column is Brandon Moss. And uh, Brandon Moss has an interesting sort of skill set. Yeah, he's, he does. And it's the kind of skill set that if you're in a league that allows for daily lineup changes and you can play platoons and you've got a deep enough bench to do that or if you're in one of these daily games that so many people are playing these days and you find a favorable pitching matchup you can you know, get more value out of Moss than his overall skill set might indicate you know sometimes he sits against lefties in favor of Nate Fryman but you know really what he is is he you know hits great power from the left side of the plate against right-handed pitching so if you can find him in a matchup against a right-handed pitcher maybe a right-handed fly ball pitcher Maybe in a game outside of Oakland where, you know, it's a little easier to jack the ball over the fence. You know, Moss is a, you know, a spot start candidate or a guy who, if he's got a favorable road trip lined up for a week, is a guy you can extract more value from because of 
the splits in his skill set than you might be able to extract um, if you were just running him out there every day for the entire season. As Dan Becker said, hold your nose and don't look at the B.A. and make sure he's in there against right-handers. Uh, sound advice, I think. Uh, S- Stephen Nickrand, our fine starting pitching buyer's guide columnist, has a column on the BaseballHQ.com site right now, Ray, called Skills Changes 2012-13. to And uh, what he's looking at is guys whose skills really had quite significant differences this year versus last. One of the names that popped up, and this one caught me a little off guard, from the Astros' Dallas Kuchel. Definitely an interesting development in Kuchel's skill set. You know, obviously a young guy, you know, he's only 25 this year, and he got, you know, more than a bit of a cup of coffee in Houston last year. He was up for, you know, something like half a season. I think he pitched 80-something innings. Uh, the one skill he did show last year was a strong ground ball rate. It was something just over 50%. Uh, but that was completely undermined by a complete lack of command. He actually had more walks and strikeouts last year and was only striking out four guys per nine innings, which is far, far below even our minimum standards, especially in this day and age of, you know, the, the current high strikeout era we're living in. But he solved that problem this year. He's you know, nearly doubled the strikeout rate up to seven per nine, which is, you know, not great, but acceptable in this day and age. He's cut his walks down to three per nine, resulting in a command ratio strikeouts to walks of 2.3, which is, you know, around league average right now. But he's done all of that while hanging on to that ground ball rate that's still north of 50%. So you put all of that together, and that's now a usable skill set, and that's what Steven's pointing out. And he's still only 25, and he might be honing these skills even a little bit further. So, you know, there's more upside here than you see in his current uh, mid-fours ERA. And in the last month, Steven pointed out a 9.9 strikeouts per nine dominance rate as well as that near 50% ground ball rate. So he's got the second highest swinging strike rate in the American League, uh, but just behind Derek Holland. That's pretty uh, good company. Yeah, he's, he's definitely fooling some people right now. Also on Steven's list, a name that's been around for a while, Ivan Nova of the uh, New York Yankees. Again, a pitcher that a lot of people don't look at seriously, but maybe they should. This is a guy who's generated some discussion on the site in our comments area recently, and the... the comments were centered on the fact that our projection for him only called for, you know, a handful of starts over the remainder of the year. And that's sort of because of a logjam in the back end of the Yankee rotation where Nova's holding the number five spot right now, but both David Phelps and possibly Michael Pineda are getting fairly close to a return. And in terms of projecting playing time, we weren't hundred percent sure how that's going to break down. So we were kind of hedging our bets among the three of them, which was keeping Nova's innings projection fairly modest. However, as Steven points out, Nova's been so good, particularly over the last month or so, that you know it's really hard to make a case that he's going to lose his rotation spot unless he starts pitching worse again. I mean, he's put up a 240 ERA and a sub one whip over the last month with a BPV over 100. You know, he's got his command up, you know, his strikeout to walk ratio up over four, which even in this day and age is an elite number. So this is somewhat out of line with what we've seen from him in the past. He's shown us flashes, but never uh, reached this level for any reasonable length of time. So, you know, there's some reason to be skeptical, but by the same time, he is going to continue to get the ball every fifth day if he keeps pitching like this. So the ball is, you know, in Nova's court to continue to prove that what he's doing is legitimate. And, you know, one of the things we know about pitching performances starters who get on rolls like this tend to stay on rolls like this so the advice for anybody who you know just picked up nova or is thinking about picking him up or is has the, has them in a rotation and is trying to decide how to ride, how long to ride him is ride him until he gives you a reason not to and finally uh, ray melky cabrera came back from the dl 
and rejoined his spot in the Toronto outfield, which has been kind of a disaster. How does things shake out in Toronto as they struggle through a really disappointing season? So there's this short-term move here, and then you sort of wonder what the next domino to fall is in Toronto, which is why this is interesting to talk about. So for the short-term, Melky comes back off the DL, and Rajai Davis, who was doing most of the fill-in work, goes back into uh, you know a fourth outfielder slash platoon role. That doesn't completely remove Davis's value. He's you know done over the last month or so while Cabrera's been out. He's done what he usually does, which is run like mad. I think he's got 13 stolen bases in the last 31 days. And you know those stolen base opportunities won't totally dry up, even if he's only starting a couple of days a week. Yeah, you know, I saw him come off the bench last night and pinch run and steal a base. You know those kind of opportunities will come up. He should still get in the lineup against lefties. So there's still value for Rajai even as he goes back to a substitute role. The more interesting thing, though, is what happens longer term here. You know, you, Colby Rasmus has probably done enough to stay in the lineup. There was some speculation earlier in the year that he could play his way out of a job in this scenario. He had a terrible error last night, Patrick. I don't know if you saw that in the uh, the ninth inning of that Dodger game. But uh, you know, despite some occasional lapses in the field, he's you know got an OPS over 800 and has done enough to hold that job. But all of this kind of ties back to the decision from a couple of weeks ago to move Brett Laurie over to second base, which kind of leaves a hole at third base. And I don't personally know why you move Laurie to second unless you've got a plan for third base that's something other than, you know, Meisner's tourists and the like. So you kind of wonder if maybe not in season, but maybe somewhere down the road, they're going to fool around again with Edwin Encarnacion or Jose Batista over at third base, which would in turn free up another lineup spot for Rajai Davis. So don't, yeah, the bottom line is Melky's back, but don't lose sight of Rajai Davis because there are a number of dominoes to fall that could lead him back into the lineup and lead to another, you know, 13 stolen base month that we we just saw while Melky was out. Something else to keep in mind, uh, I live not far from Toronto, see a lot of their games on television. Melky doesn't look right. He's, he still seems to be limping or favoring his legs to a certain extent. I don't know that Melky Cabrera is going to finish the year in left field, not because of his performance, although that may be a problem, but he just may not be able to survive the ordeal. Yeah, that turf is rough, you know, especially once you have a leg problem. You know, you might, you know, go down to Florida and rehab it and feel good, but then you start pounding on that turf again and, you know, you don't feel so good. It's a good point. And what do you got going on the speculator column before we let you go? Uh, we're working on the trade deadline. Uh, we broke down the uh, pitching marketplace last week, talked a little bit about Garza before he moved. So uh, we're turning our attention to the hitters, uh, and that column will be up on HQ this weekend. Either league, what do you think is the most likely trade to happen before the deadline? Just off the cuff, I think Alex Rios to Pittsburgh just makes a ton of sense to me. I know there's been some denials on either side about Rios's availability or Pittsburgh's interest, but... It just seems to me that putting him in the outfield in Pittsburgh and that, you know, not so great offense in place of a Travis Snyder or Jose Tabata is, you know, such a giant upgrade for the Pirates that they find a way to get that done. Yeah, and it'd be nice for the White Sox to get rid of Rios' contract. As good as he's been, uh, this is not a team that can afford to be paying that kind of money. Yeah, they, you know, they're a long way from being any kind of good. So I think, they only, I think Rios actually only has one more year plus an option, but that's longer than it's going to take for the White Sox to get back to relevancy, so they might as well get what they can for them. Yeah, and in the meantime, it it may only be a year, but it's a $20, $21 million a year, something like that. Yeah, that's a, that's a pill to swallow for sure. All right, Ray, thanks very much for filling in. Thanks for having me, Patrick. I'm sure we'll talk again soon.
Ray Murphy is the general manager of BaseballHQ.com and the speculator columnist at the site. Stay with us. We're going to have our regular Friday Talk with Todd with Todd Zola next here on Baseball HQ Radio. I'm Ray Murphy. I help run things at BaseballHQ.com. I'm inviting you to join me at First Pitch Arizona, November 1st through 3rd in Scottsdale. It's three days jam-packed with seminars, scouting reports, workshops, and fantasy drafts. And best of all, First Pitch Arizona is three great days just talking baseball with hundreds of serious fantasy players like you and all the top industry experts. And don't forget the ball games. First Pitch Arizona is your chance to scout 2014's impact rookies, including the annual Rising Stars All-Star Game. Visit www.firstpitchforums.com to get the skinny and to register. Sign up by August 31st and we'll knock the price down to just 299 bucks. It's like getting Miguel Cabrera in the seventh round. First Pitch Arizona. Come see for yourself why the fantasy baseball winners who attend every year call it the most fun you can have outside of draft day. And we'll see you there. And welcome back to Baseball HQ Radio, the Friday edition. I'm Patrick Davitt. Time now for our regular weekly Talk with Todd. A pleasure to be joined by Todd Zola, contributor to BaseballHQ.com, MastersBall.com, KFFL.com, and ESPN.com in the insider section of their fantasy baseball coverage. Todd, welcome back to the show. Really good to be back, Patrick. Let's start with the uh, big news, I guess, uh, most recently. Tim Hudson, in a fairly gruesome play at first base, he got his ankle stepped on by Eric Young while he was covering the bag on Young's uh, infield attempted hit, and uh, he's out for the year, and this is going to have some ramifications all all down the uh, Atlanta Braves rotation. Yeah, it actually it, it, it clouded up. You'd think it would clear up a situation when it clouded up when it was already becoming a a clouded situation in that Brandon Beachy is on the way back, and they were talking about putting Chris Medlin back in the bullpen, and we got Alex Wood coming up and into the picture that he was Wood was relieving in the bullpen at the beginning of the year. Then they sent him back down to get stretched out a bit. So there's still maybe maybe he did clear it up, and what it means is everybody's in the rotation now. And uh, but with Atlanta with such a good park and such a good team. If you you know Atlanta starters are very relevant at, at the very least for streaming, but man that play was uh, it was kind of you know, Hudson's a good guy. He hated to see that sort of thing happen. And uh, doubly unfortunate for the Braves in that Paul Mahalan went on the DL a few days ago. From a fantasy purpose, that might not be so unfortunate though. What do you mean? He's a he's a brave pitcher. Like I said, he, he's he's not a bad guy to use at home potentially, but I think regression caught up to him pretty quickly. And he's not a guy that I felt all that safe using unless it was a, an extremely good matchup. But on the other hand, as you said, it does create potentially some opportunities for pitchers to get called into the rotation step up. And Atlanta's a really good team. Might be worth uh, looking at some of these guys that Atlanta backs and fills with. Yeah, Alex, we mentioned you know, mentioned Alex Wood. So he could be available in a, in, in, in a lot of different size leagues. And he's definitely a guy that I consider using at home. I don't know about the road just yet. I mean, the kid's only 22 years old. Uh, not quite sure I'm going to trust him on the road. But he showed some great peripherals. He strike strikeout an inning in the minors. Maybe would have liked a little bit better walk rate. But at, at 22 years old, certainly has the potential. And he was able to get major league hitters out uh, as a reliever. So uh, he's a guy. We're at the point of the year. We've talked about it a couple times. Sometimes you just got to 
opportunities more important than the stats at this point than, than cogent analysis. And he has the opportunity and does have the stats to back it up. So Wood's a guy that I'm sort of, you know, I'm willing to take a shot on the upside uh, with Atlanta and the park and the team at his back. You know, Beachy's the other guy that, uh, you know, he hasn't, his control in his rehab hasn't been all that great, which is to be expected for uh, for Tommy John. So I'm not totally writing him off just yet. You know, the the M.O. is for the velocity to be there. And the, the last thing to come across, to come back, is the, is the, the control. Uh, so I do want to keep an eye on it. But I'm not, I'm not counting on Beachy. I'm not gonna, I'm, the, the name doesn't get me points. Strikes gets me points, and he's not throwing strikes right now. So a uh, little bit leery of counting on him if I have him stashed on a DL. Uh, actually, I'd rather have Wood than Beachy right now. Another story I've been asking everybody about, and uh, that's the Ryan Braun situation. Uh, he's accepted his season suspension, I think with a view to trying to get back next year, as I've said here on Baseball HQ Radio. But uh, what's your take on the whole Ryan Braun situation? I try, uh, I try to think about it from a fantasy stand- standpoint, you know, to be honest with you. Um, you know, as far as, you know, the whole situation, you know, I, I fell hook, line, and sinker. I drafted him with the second overall pick in the NFBC main event. And fortunately, I made a couple decent free agent pickups, so I'm still, I'm still competing, uh, with, without, without him. Um, so, you know, I'm, I'm not, you know, losing any sleep over that anyway. But I, I felt, you know, so from a basic, from a pure stand, fan standpoint, you know, it kind of stinks. You know, I love baseball, and to see, you know, someone like this, the the question, you know, we don't know who's clean and dirty now, even more so than before. We just don't know. And to me, that, that kind of bothers me. Forget fantasy, just the sport I love. <laughs> you know, I, we just don't know anymore because this wasn't a case of bulking up. This was a case of, from what I understand from a, a chemical point of view, more of like a, a souped-up greenie. To uh, you know, like a like a five hour energy all the time sort of thing, yeah. what he was doing, as opposed to you know bulking up like some of the other guys, and you know therefore we can't tell. You really can't tell who's you know who's just uh, keeping the performance enhanced in that manner. From a uh, performance point of view, you know the big question is keeper leagues. Should I you know should I trade for him and that sort of thing, and. On my keeper list, I much prefer to deal with the known than the unknown. If I'm going to take chances, it'll be during the draft or during the auction. So my lean is to not deal for for Ryan Braun. And even next year in the first round or second round, I, I don't see him being in any of my teams. Uh, you know, as they get closer and he you know plays and maybe he's accepted back to the clubhouse, maybe he's not. I think that's going to be as big of an issue as anything is is getting accepted back to a to a major league clubhouse. Uh, I I don't see I don't see him being on any of my teams in the near future. As far as being accepted back into the clubhouse, uh, Joe Sheehan had an interesting take on that, which is every guy who seems to have got caught has been welcomed back, and it doesn't seem like his teammates care that much. Uh, look at um, Bartolo Colon was one of the examples that Joe pointed to. Uh, this guy got caught basically red-handed, took his 50 games, came back to Oakland, and here he is winning lots of games, getting lots of strikeouts, and uh, his teammates seem perfectly fine with him. Well, Bartolo Colon didn't go on, you know, didn't call a press conference in the middle of the field and get, you know, the old holier-than-thou attitude. I think a better example might be Melky 
because he did set up the fake website to try to get out of it, so I thought maybe that would set up some tension. I think it's a, Braun's just a different level. The manner he went out and 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 you know he heck he had Aaron Rodgers out there betting a, a year's salary that he was innocent. Uh, I think I think this is a different the the way they went about it after getting caught. I mean, look at Ortiz. He went the way he you know the, the way David Ortiz. I think it has to do with the reaction to getting caught or or, or not getting caught in the case of Braun uh, that might might influ- might influence uh, the way it goes. But you know, winning does cure all ails, and you find the right clubhouse, I suppose. I just don't know that it'll be in Milwaukee. Um, he may have to find another one, or who knows? Between now and then, once you know, I think that I think he has to be a little bit quiet now because there might be. I don't hate to speculate, uh, might be some additional litigation he's worrying about. So I think maybe he wants to say more and 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 come a little bit cleaner. And who knows? By next spring, maybe he'll be able to do that, and things will be different. He can have a truer apology, or or you know, come out and and do some public service and stuff like that and get back on the good graces. I'm not holding it against him just yet as far as his sort of lackadaisical or cavalier apology that he gave the other day. I think there's legal reasons for that. Um, so I think, that, I think I guess the jury's still out as to his acceptance back into a major league clubhouse. But just from a performance point of view, I think there's too much, too much unknown uh, to take him as a first-round pick or second-round pick next year. Speaking of getting welcomed back into your clubhouse, Alex Rodriguez has taken an unusual step to try to force his way back into the Yankees clubhouse. He went to a doctor without advising the team that he was doing so, got a second opinion which disagrees with the Yankees uh, doctor's opinions that he has a quad strain. He went to a very famous orthopedist who said, no, nothing on this MRI says quad strain to me. And, of course, it's against the CBA for a player to go get a second opinion without telling the team first. But the larger question is, why is it that A-Rod seems to want to play for the Yankees and the Yankees are so reluctant, it appears, to get a guy back on their roster who clearly could help them given the lack of production they're getting from their third base spot? Yeah, I don't know. There's, again, there's this... There's something going on that we don't know about as far as, I don't know if it's litigation or an impending suspension or, you know, who knows by the time. By the time this airs, we may know. Uh, it may co- something may come down. Uh, it could have to do with, it, with, with, with the amount of days and if he's on the DL or not on the DL or getting salary cap space or being able to void a contract. I don't know. There's something going on there. Yeah, it was even further that that the uh, the MRI was leaked or sent to a radio station so it wasn't it wasn't like you know not you know nudge nudge wink wink behind the doors it was public public knowledge about this the second MRI it was it was yeah it was it was just really strange the people are really scratching their head as far as you know why what are the motives about that from a a player's point of view you say he could really help and i i, I suppose i suppose he could is but you know i don't know who they have you know, right now but he hasn't looked all that all that good in rehab, and who's to say that he's even going to be staying healthy? Yeah. Um, you know, I'm not touching. You know, I'm not looking to put him on a DL, stash him for a late season run myself. It's uh, it, there's just weird, weird weird things going on there. Yeah, I suspect that maybe the the club is uh, reluctant to take him on because they fear. 
either they fear that he's going to get suspended again, or maybe they're trying to maneuver somehow to get him uh, get his contract voided for its balance. So I guess we'll have to wait and see. Uh, some happier news: we had a, a fairly significant trade occur in the last few days. Um, Matt Garza got sent from the Cubs to the Rangers. His first start against those same Yankees was a sparkler, one unearned run in seven or eight innings. Looked really sharp out there. Uh, what do you think of the Garza trade as far as the race in the American League West and how it affects Texas? Well, from a from a baseball standpoint, with Texas's offense, even though it's not quite up to the par that it's been in previous years, I think it's a fine move. I mean, I think, you know, they, similar to Dempster last year, all you need to do is get a pitcher to keep you in games, and let you know let that offense take over. And they got a really good bullpen too, so let you know turn it over to Shepers and Nathan at the end, and now Soria, and you know make a six or seven inning game, and and that that's great. Uh, you know, fantasy wise though, I don't know that I'm expecting you know another ten sparklers, no matter who it's against. Uh, you know, Texas is a fairly difficult park to pitch in. Garza has had issues with home runs in the past. And, you know, I, there will be a couple of stinkers along the way. But, you know, he, he very well could be the best uh, player coming over from the NL to the AL uh, in a deadline sort of move, at least from the pitching standpoint. So if you need help in pitching, he's the sort of guy that you probably, you know, need to go all in on if, if, you, if you still are if the fab hasn't occurred yet, which it, in most leagues it hasn't. Uh, he's going to be the guy to go all in on. But it's not a guarantee that he, you know, that he helps your staff in the way that you sort of would have hoped someone, in, at least in the ratio categories, uh, to help them with such a big fab bid in, in another couple of days. And it's interesting now with you, Darvish, back, the Rangers' rotation all of a sudden looks very strong, especially in those first three spots that are so important in the playoffs, Darvish, Garza, and Derek Holland. That's a pretty nice one, two, three to take into the playoffs. Darvish came back and actually you know, pitched very well against those same Yankees earlier in the week. Uh, on the Monday, he came back and uh, didn't go nine, uh, you know, took advantage of that, that good bullpen. But sure, they're... Uh, you know they're definitely going to be uh, right up there. You know Matt Harrison looks like he's out for the year, so they just need you know someone like a Martin Perez or I think they're going to put Feliz back in the bullpen. They need some someone just to hold the fort down uh, for them. And you know they they I don't yeah we haven't heard the last of the Texas Rangers just yet, especially with that second wild card. Uh, that you know I think we'll be hearing from them. Down the stretch, and you're right. You know, come. That's maybe the one thing I, about you know, as a baseball fan, that I, you know, I don't. This I don't say don't like about baseball, but the playoffs are a completely different animal than the regular season. You need two or three strong pitchers to win the playoffs. You know, you need five very good pitchers to get there. So it does change the game a little bit. But I guess all sports playoffs are different than than the regular season. But you know, this is baseball. I want it to be the same. Yeah, they have changed it a lot, and I was wondering, you mentioned that the second wild card has changed the nature of the playoffs. It also seems to have changed the nature of how aggressively teams are willing to trade because so many more of them think they're in the race that they that there's fewer sellers on the market, which probably makes trades harder to accomplish. Uh, how do you think the uh, extra wild card has affected the big-picture trade situation for fantasy purposes? Oh, for fantasy purposes, I alluded to it a little bit earlier, uh, with the deadline deals, this is not the year to be hoarding your fab. Uh, I don't think anyway. Uh, you know, we heard, you know, Soriano, Alfonso Soriano, 
maybe joining Garza in the American League. We've heard some potential rumors. Of, poten, potential rumors is an oxymoron. Some rumors of Alex Rios going to the National League, specifically the Pirates. So there could be some marquee players changing uniforms. But, you know, to me, especially if you don't have the number one fab or priority position, uh, you know, I would go after the Junior Lakes. I would go after the, the Chris, uh, I'm going to mispronounce his last name, from Minnesota, Calabello, and Henry Urieta from, uh, from, from Baltimore. I'm going to go after some of these guys now, even though they may not be, you know, as good as someone who may cross cross leagues, uh, you know, at the, at the deadline, just to make sure I get somebody of quality. Um, I think I think what we're seeing in baseball is like a double double whammy, the extra wild card, and the teams themselves are just more compressed. I follow the Red Sox, and you know they're they're a good team, you know, but I keep hearing you know best record in the league or this or that. It's like really, I mean, but I, it's just because the top teams aren't as good as they've been in the past, and the bottom teams, no matter how much we joke about them aren't as bad as some of the bottom teams have been in the past. Everything's condensed a little bit, which further makes, you know, teams close enough to the wild card to uh, to want to wanna, wanna go for it. You did mention Alfonso Soriano, rumored to go to the Yankees. News reports uh, this week said that he has given the Cubs permission to trade him to a short list of teams. The Yankees are on the list. And according to one report I read, Todd, the Soriano told reporters that Theo Epstein told him that the Yankees were the likeliest uh, destination for him. Uh, does that affect his fantasy potential, and how does it affect the A-Rod situation? It's hard to say if they're going to use him as a designated hitter or if they're going to put him out in left field. It's a real, real big left field out there at Yankee Stadium. So from both the hitting and pitch uh, defensive point of view, you know the home runs are going to be a little bit harder to come by than they would be at Wrigley, and and is he going to be able to stay healthy, you know, and, and, and help a pitching staff chasing fly balls down in that vast uh, in that vast left field that is you know, Yankee Stadium? I don't know if you can put Ichiro out there and put Siriano in right. I don't know if that's sort of a, a thing you want to do at this point. Um, if he comes over, I mean, he's got power. He's not going to hit for average. He does seem to still be able to, you know, put the ball in the air and have it go over the fence. He's sort of had more power in the past couple of years, and we thought – you know, we thought he had lost power for a little while, but it's it's come back the past couple of years. So you sort of have to go all in as far as, uh, you know, hitting goes. 32 homers last year in, in the mid-20s the previous few years. Uh, but I'm not, you know, not expecting 10 or 12, but he's certainly capable of, of, of doing that uh, if he's in a Yankee uniform for the next 10 weeks. Okay, Todd, thanks very much for keeping us up to date. We'll catch up with you again next week. Absolutely. Thank you, Patrick. Todd Zola writes for BaseballHQ.com, MastersBall.com, KFFL.com, and in the insider section of the fantasy baseball coverage at ESPN.com. Before we wrap up this week's show, we have our regular Friday edition look at some pitchers and their opponents this coming week. Remember, our Baseball HQ matchup ratings run from plus 5, which is a must-start, to minus 5, which is a must-sit. Now looking at the Rangers' Derek Holland against the Angels and the Brewers' Donovan Hand facing the Rockies at Coors Field, here's BaseballHQ.com analyst Ryan Bloomfield. Derek Holland is a fine choice Tuesday against the Angels with a 2.32 matchup rating. The Angels are hitting only 241 off lefties this year, and Holland's skills have also been excellent with a BPV right around 100, an 8.2 DOM, and a 3.2 command ratio. 
According to BaseballHQ.com's Pure Quality Start metric, Holland has registered only two disastrous outings all season. Keep starting him. Jose Fernandez gets the Pirates at home on Sunday with a 2.15 matchup rating. The 20-year-old All-Star has a 2.74 ERA and 107 WHIP this year, despite being just six and five. A true testament to the Marlins' offense. Fernandez's 3.43 expected ERA and hit rate hint that the ERA could rise a bit, but Fernandez's skills, when I mean, he's striking out nearly a batter per inning, make him a very strong choice in this matchup and moving forward. And Donovan Hand has been flipping back and forth between the rotation and bullpen in Milwaukee and is expected to make his next start despite a bruised hand, no pun intended. His start at Coors Field against the Rockies team is that uh, mashes at home. Hand 455 expected ERA and tiny 3.8 strikeouts per nine. Probably aren't going to fare well. Also, his pitch count high is only at 86 this year with the next highest at just 64. So don't expect Hand to go deep into this one, even if he does pitch well. And finally, Jason Hamill has definitely had a disappointing follow-up to his breakout season last year. His skills are taking a dive this year as well. The key has been the Dom regression from 8.6 last year to 6.3, and his 4.55 expected ERA has fallen back as well. He'll face the Red Sox for the first time this season on Sunday with a matchup rating below zero, so don't expect much here against baseball's highest scoring team. For Baseball HQ Radio, this is Ryan Bloomfield with BaseballHQ.com. Attention daily streaming league and salary cap gamers. Ryan Bloomfield, Troy Martell, and Brian Brickley do comprehensive starting pitcher matchup reports every day at BaseballHQ.com. And that's Baseball HQ Radio, the July 26th edition. Thanks very much for taking the time to download and listen to show number 30 of the 2013 Fantasy Baseball season. I also want to thank our guests today from BaseballHQ.com, the best fantasy baseball website in the business. Our League Watch news analysts were Harold Nichols and Ray Murphy, doing an admirable job pinch-hitting for Jock Thompson. As well, we had our regular Friday correspondent, Todd Zola, and our HQ Matchups commentator, BaseballHQ.com analyst Ryan Bloomfield. Be sure to check out BaseballHQ.com for these features. Ron Chandler's Fanalytics column, Act 1, Scene 1, talks about biogenesis and its aftermath. As you heard in the show, Ray Murphy's speculator column looks at hitters who could be traded as we approach the deadline. The BaseballHQ.com daily call-ups report covers potential stars Christian Yelich and Jake Marisnik, recently called up by Miami. Plus, we have all the regular features, playing time, facts and flukes, buyer's guides, division outlooks, pitcher matchups, and more. I'm Patrick Davitt. I hope to see you on the BaseballHQ.com subscriber forums. Remember, you can check out Baseball HQ on Facebook and on our Twitter feed, at BaseballHQ. Also, you can feel free to join the 150 followers of my own personal Twitter account, at Patrick Davitt. Please tell your friends about Baseball HQ Radio, and take a second to go to iTunes and add to our 4.8 star rating. Thanks again for listening. We'll be back again Tuesday with USA Today Senior Fantasy Editor Steve Gardner on our next edition of the podcast with Fantasy Baseball Intelligence for Winners. It is Baseball HQ Radio. So long. Baseball HQ Radio is a weekly free podcast available through iTunes and other podcast aggregators or directly from BaseballHQ.com where we have an archive of past shows as well. 
Just look for the HQ Radio microphone logo on the right side of the BaseballHQ.com homepage. Baseball HQ Radio is a production of the USA Today Sports Media Group. The opinions expressed on Baseball HQ Radio are those of the individual speaking and not necessarily those of the USA Today Sports Media Group. The program is produced and edited by Patrick Davitt.